We're going to go on to the book of Philemon. Let me read the passage to you. I'm going to read the whole book today, and then I'll explain why I chose Philemon afterwards. Okay, let's turn to Philemon together. We're going to read the whole thing. The word of God reads, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home, grace and peace to you from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers because I hear about your love for all his holy people and your faith in the Lord Jesus. I pray that your partnership with us in the faith may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing we share for the sake of Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the Lord's people. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. I am sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I'm in chains for the gospel, but I did not want to do anything without your consent, so that any favor you do would not seem forced, but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. So, if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will pay it back, not to mention that you owe me your very self. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. And one thing more, prepare a guest room for me, because I hope to be restored to you in answer to your prayers. Epaphras, my dear prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends you greetings. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow workers. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray and let's get into word together. God, we thank you so much for the things that you're doing within our church. We thank you, Father, for the challenges that we see right now and that we're experiencing right now every single day. But Lord, we trust you. We know that you're sovereign and that you're in control. And more than that, we just thank you for your word, your truth that transcends all circumstances. And Father, we thank you that your love and your grace and your sovereignty and your goodness transcends all of our circumstances. Lord, help us to enjoy you during this time, and may you be glorified and worshiped. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I decided to preach on Philemon for two reasons. And, you know, I think the sermon might be like, you know, a few weeks, five weeks or something like that. But I decided to preach for two reasons. And the first is this. Um, The first is a lot of times people preach Philemon right after Colossians. And the reason why is because Colossians and Philemon is believed to have been sent together. And so, you know, it was written by Paul at the same time, sent at the same time to Colossae. And so the contexts are very, very similar. And so it's very natural for us to preach from there. And if you remember, we even talked about this slave Onesimus that's mentioned in the book of Philemon in the book of Colossians. And so we already talked about him. And so hopefully... 
there's a lot of things that's already prepped for us. But the bigger reason why I decided to choose the book of Philemon is because I really believe that this book has a message for us that we need to hear during this period today. So today what I'd like to do is I'd like to give you a bit of an overview of the book of Philemon. And I'll start by sharing the story behind the story of Philemon, this letter. And then what I'll do is I'll share two really big picture points that I think stand out from this whole book. So let's first start with the backstory. Here's the backstory. You know, there was a slave named Onesimus and he was a non-Christian slave. And this slave stole from and then ran away from a Christian master named Philemon. And so we have this non-Christian slave stealing and running away from a Christian master, Philemon. But by God's providence, while he's running away, Onesimus runs into Paul, the apostle Paul, and becomes a Christian. So yeah, he becomes a believer. And then not only does he become a believer, but Onesimus starts to help Paul in his ministry. And it's awesome. And Paul loves it. Over time, however, uh, Onesimus becomes convicted that the proper thing to do as a Christian is to make things right with his master, Philemon. So he decides that he's going to go back to his old master, Philemon, to his master, Philemon, and ask for his forgiveness. But you have to realize that for him to decide this, I mean, he had to overcome a huge challenge. And here's the challenge. According to Roman law and Roman culture, a runaway slave is punishable by death. You add thievery to that, that's guaranteed death, okay? So for him to choose that, you know, he's choosing death. Yet, knowing all this, Onesimus still decides to go. But why? So the question is why? Why would he do that? And, and you know what the answer is? Because he wanted to honor Christ and the gospel so much that he was willing to die in order to do what was right in God's eyes. And that's amazing, right? Now, um, we're not sure if Onesimus went to Paul and asked him to write this letter for him, or if Paul just took the initiative on his own to write this letter and say, hey, Onesimus, let me, I know Philemon. Philemon was Paul's friend. You know, why don't I write a letter to try to vouch for you? But regardless, Paul writes this letter and he asks his friend and partner Philemon to treat Onesimus as a brother in Christ, right? And he asks Philemon to show Onesimus the same love and the same grace that Christ showed him. And that is the story behind the letter. You know, to me, there are two things that stand out boldly from the book of Philemon. And the first is the gospel. And secondly, it's what it means to be a brother or sister in Christ. Let's go over those two things together. The first is this here. I only have two points today. And the first point is this, the gospel brings true freedom and joy. The gospel brings true freedom and joy. You know, no matter how many times I read this letter, it's such a short letter. You could read it, you know, so many times in a day, right? Uh, no matter how many times I read this letter, I still get overwhelmed that Onesimus wants to go back knowing that he's facing death. That is absolutely crazy. I can't get over that concept alone, that he's choosing death to do this. But he does so only because he knows that this is what is right in Christ's eyes. So in essence, he's choosing death to obey Christ. That's absolutely crazy, 
But that's absolutely awesome at the exact same time, isn't it? Oh man, if Christians just did that today, the world would be so different. And the thing is, I think this is the way I think. I mean, he could have just stayed there with Paul. He could have just played it safe, stayed with Paul. He could have done the most amazing gospel ministry next to the greatest missionary that ever lived for the rest of his life. But the problem is that the gospel took a hold of Onesimus's heart. Right? You see, he knew that God sacrificed his own son, Jesus Christ, to reconcile and to restore people who wronged him. He knew that God had sent his most precious possession to die for people so that we could be right with him once again. And so, Onesimus became convinced that if he wanted to be Christ-like and if he wanted to please God, then that meant the same for him as well, that he needed to pay whatever price he needed to to make things right with people that he's wronged. And so in order to make, make things right with Philemon, it meant his own death. That's so courageous, isn't it? To just obey God no matter what it costs. We hear it all the time in sermons, but to actually do it, it's so amazing. I don't even do it. I'll be very honest. I don't even do it. You know, there was one time that, you know, a cashier gave me five more cents than I was supposed to get back and change. The good Christian would have been like, oh, I'm sorry. You know, you gave me five cents extra. Here you go. I'm so sorry. But I didn't even do that. I was like, oh, yeah. And I just kept it. You know, that took no courage to give back money that you were given. But I, I didn't do it. You know, that's who we are. But then all of a sudden you have this guy who just, you know, is willing to give his own life. To obey Christ? What would cause him to choose that path? And the only answer I can come up with is the grace of God. You know, Onesimus knew that he was loved. He was cherished. He was celebrated by the God of the universe, you know, and he knew that no matter what he had done in the past, that he was absolutely reconciled to God, that God's love for him, that Christ's commitment to him would never change. And so he knew how much he was valued by the God of the universe. And he knew that all that was undeserved. So in his heart, so externally, yes, he might have been a slave in the role of the Roman Empire. But internally and spiritually, Onimus, Onesimus knew that he was truly free. And with that freedom, he can now live freely to please God and to honor God and to obey Christ with all that he has. You know, I can't imagine what Onesimus's life was like before he met Jesus Christ. Can you? I mean, he was a runaway thief slave, right? So he must have always been looking over his shoulder, knowing that if he got caught, that would mean the death sentence. That's huge, right? That's like, that's mental stress beyond lockdown, isn't it? Just always, you know, wondering if you're going to get caught that day. And then there were other basic, basic concerns as well. Like, how was he going to eat? Where was he going to sleep that night? How did he survive? You know, what he faced on a daily basis had to have been much worse than anything that we're probably going through during this lockdown right now, don't you think? Yet, the moment he met Jesus, everything changed. Right? It all changed the moment he met Jesus. You know, yes, this book was written by Paul to Philemon. But I always remind myself that behind this, this whole letter, behind this whole story, is a guy whose life got radically turned upside down by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus changed all of his worries 
into worship. And as a result, the joy and the freedom that he found and he experienced in Jesus Christ became a greater treasure to him than even his own life. And this letter is living proof of that. When was the last time that you felt that passionate about Jesus and what he did for you, right? When was the last time that because Christ was so great in your heart and in your mind, you were willing to pay whatever price to make him happy? When was the last time you felt like that? And I don't ask that question to make any of us feel guilty. No, not at all. But I, but I ask that question to remind us that there really is infinite joy and infinite freedom to be found in Christ and the gospel every single day, right? And isn't that, isn't that what some of us really need? right now during this lockdown, a joy and a freedom that surpasses our current circumstances. I mean, honestly, that might be my number one prayer point. We all need that. And if a runaway slave facing a death sentence can find that in increasing measure each and every single day, boy, we can as well, right? It's all in Christ and in the gospel. You know, right now, if you're struggling in your walk with Christ, or even if you're not, can I encourage you to do one thing? One thing. This is the application point. Can you spend time meditating upon the gospel each and every single day? I know that's an application point that I have so much, but you know, it's unfortunate that many people don't do this, but it's absolutely transformative. You know, when you wake up in the morning, instead of reaching for your phone and for the first 15 minutes scrolling through your social media or whatever you have to do that day or the schedule, whatever it is, can you wake up in the morning and simply just meditate upon the gospel? You know, present the gospel to yourself. Wake up to Christ. Wake up to liberating truth. You know, uh, there was a great period of my life where I used to wake up every single morning. And the first thing I did was I'd wake up and I'd go straight to the shower and take a shower. And I remember during those days, what I used to do is I dedicated that shower time to gospel time. It was called my shower gospel time. You know, if I can call it that. Because I would just present the gospel to myself in that shower for the next 10 minutes over and over and over again. And you want to know something? It really does change your day. It does. It changes your perspective. It changes your interactions with others. It changes your goals. It changes your outcomes, right? And the reason why is because you become centered upon grace. You become centered upon Christ and what he did for you. And you realize once again that this day was undeserved, that your salvation was undeserved. And every single day after that is just like the cherry on top. And you can live that day so thankful. So therefore it, tra it transforms the way you attack all the things that you do that day. And therefore, it changes the outcomes. And if I can give you one suggestion, it's this. And this is what I realized. Stay in that place. You know, continue to present the gospel to yourself until you know that you are truly free in Christ. And that your joy in him surpasses whatever you face that day. That's how we center our life upon Christ and the gospel. You know, I'll be honest with you, um, during this lockdown, I haven't been doing that, you know? And if I'm even more honest with you, I've been really arrogant during this lockdown. I think there was a part of me that just thought, you want to know something, Eddie? You're a Christian. You believe in Jesus Christ. I think you'll be okay. I mean, you're a pastor, aren't you? Right? I mean, you're probably better than okay. You study the scriptures every single day. You talk to people about Jesus. You know, you do gospel work. You should be okay. 
But you know what I learned in the past nine weeks? What I learned is um, when you don't center yourself upon Christ and the gospel, you suffer something much worse than being imprisoned in your home. A lot of times you can become imprisoned in your heart. You know, and your heart becomes imprisoned. Maybe, you know, enslaved might be a better term. Your heart becomes enslaved by the desires and the pressures and the rewards of this world. And this is the, this is what I'm talking about here. You know, I remember there was this one day a few weeks ago where I was like totally happy. I was enjoying life. It was Everything was so great. My family was great. I was having a great time that day. But then in a moment... In one moment, it all changed. I got so depressed. I got so like self-involved, self-occupied. like And you don't know why? You know, it's something that a lot of you can you know, relate with, but it's something so stupid. You know, I had posted something on the internet, on social media, and I looked at it and I just didn't get as many likes as I thought I would have. That's it. And that was enough to totally change my day. Isn't that crazy? Nothing happened to me. Nobody stole anything from me. Nobody said anything to hurt me. Nobody hurt me in any way. But yet, a simple lack of thumbs up, lack of hearts, lack of likes, or whatever you call it, derailed me from enjoying all that Christ did for me. I let this stupid number on my screen this small number, I let this stupid number dictate my worth rather than the gospel, which declares that I'm worthy enough for the Son of God to die for. And that revealed to me that I wasn't centered upon Jesus Christ, that my value and worth wasn't coming from Him, but from this world. I mean, no wonder I wasn't giving Christ more in my life. No wonder that I didn't want to worship more. And make everything I worship within my life. So what did I do? Well, I, in all honesty, I wish I could have said that, oh yeah, I went straight to the Bible. I went straight to prayer. I meditated upon the gospel and everything became good. But I didn't because I'm once again, I'm arrogant. And the longer you're arrogant, the longer it takes for you to get out of it. I tell you what. But it took me about an hour, but I finally forced myself to start meditating upon the gospel. And the moment I did, it took some time. But the moment you realize that life itself is undeserved, that everything that I have is undeserved, um, his joy came flooding back within my heart and I became centered upon him and him alone. You know, only the gospel sets us free and gives us true eternal joy. The gospel is the key to freedom, is the key to joy no matter what circumstances we face. And according to Onesimus, it's a treasure that's worth more than life itself. Wouldn't it be amazing to operate in that freedom and that joy every single day instead of being a slave to ourselves, a slave to others and their expectations and to this world? Onesimus might have been a slave, but in his heart, he was free. Man, I want to live every single day free like that. Don't you? Now, I know all of you who are watching, none of you guys are slaves, but I know there are some of you who are not truly free, but you can be. Jesus Christ loves you. He forgives you. 
okay? And that never changes. Even though you're a slave to your sins, and even though you might be a slave to the expectations and desires and the pressures of this world, you can be free by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. He died to pay the penalty of your sins. He died to pay the penalty and to break those chains so that you could be free from those expectations and those sinful desires as well. And he died so that you could, he could liberate you to live your life in faith, to live the life that God created you to live for. And it is only when we do that we find true freedom and true joy in this life. If you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, will you do that? It's something that we might have to do daily so that we can stay centered upon him. Won't you return to him? Won't you repent of your sins? Repent from being a slave to all these other things. And let's give ourselves to be a slave to Christ and the gospel once again. Because only the gospel can bring true freedom and joy. So put your faith in Jesus Christ. Secondly, Christians advocate Christians. Okay, that's my second point. Uh, forgive me for using a word like av- advocate. Uh, I know it's a kind of a bigger vocabulary word, but seriously, there, there's, no, there's no other word like the word advocate. It encompasses everything that I want to say to you guys. You know, the word advocate, if you look it up, it means to champion, to support, to defend, and to promote, right? There's no word like that. That's an amazing word. To advocate for someone else is absolutely amazing. And in our story today, Paul is advocating on behalf of someone who deserves death. Why? Is it because he's worthy or worth it or all that stuff? He does it simply because Onesimus is a brother in Christ. Simply because they're part, they're a part of the same spiritual family. You know, when I started writing this message initially, um, there was a part of me that had this default mode saying that, hey man, I think we need to grow in this area because I don't think we're doing that enough in our church. But you all know, as I, as I really thought about it, and as I talked to more people these past few weeks, uh, especially entering week nine of our lockdown, I think people, I think we're changing. You know, I see this slow shift happening within a church that's very, very encouraging. You know, I think people are st- starting to support each other. They're starting to care for each other. They're actually starting to contact each other with more purpose. Do you guys kind of feel that or see that around you? And I think that's a very beautiful thing that's starting to happen. I think we're all waking up to this fact that we can't live faithfully as Christians by ourselves. That we really are part of a body and we have to move together in order for all of us to succeed. And that true joy in this life doesn't come when I get what I want or I want to do whatever I want to do. But true joy in this life happens and occurs when we support and empower each other to actually live for Jesus. Is right? Can you guys think of a deeper joy than that? And so that's what I've been noticing these past few weeks. I've been hearing some great stories within our ministry. And and I cannot tell you enough how proud that makes me as a pastor, as, a, as the pastor of this particular ministry. I know that so many of you are trying really hard to care for and to love each other the best that you can, even though we're quarantined in, in these houses. And it just makes me so proud to be part of a spiritual family that's like that. Let's continue to do that. Let's continue to do it even more. Let's double down and let's love each other even more. Because this is the picture that I want each one of you to have. And this is the picture that I kind of pray over and dream about. 
And that's this. We might be physically alone in our houses, but none of us are ever spiritually alone. I want you to know that there are people that are praying for you and that there are people who are thinking about you every single day. That there are people who are asking God, God, you got to empower this person. You got to empower him or her so that that person would want to grow and be faithful and to know you more. So that person can resist sin and resist temptation. So that person will live a life of love and he will actually, and she will actually live, love others just as much as he or she loves himself. And I want that picture to be your reality, that there are all these people that are supporting you, they're praying for you, they're investing in you, they're pouring their lives into you. Each one of us need to picture that. Wouldn't that be awesome if that picture became your reality? That's what I pray for. You know, you know, for the first few weeks of this lockdown, I was strongly encouraging all of our CG leaders to care for their members well and hard. I was pushing them a little bit and because I thought if they just do their job, we'll be okay. You know, however long this lockdown goes. And you want to know something? They've been amazing. And I'm so proud of all my CG leaders. Thank you, leaders, so much. You guys are just absolutely amazing. But you know what I'm realizing now as the leader and the pastor of our church? Is that this situation is a lot bigger than just a few people taking care of 10 or 15 I realize that we kind of need to really switch gears if we're going to succeed as a church. And that's why I present the picture that I just presented to you. You know, we all need to care for one another. Why? Because it takes a village, doesn't it? You know, and I really believe that's how God built the church to function. It takes 10 people at least to not only help one person succeed and grow and be faithful, but for our whole church to win and succeed as his body. You know, when I was in high school, I I played American football. And I always share this illustration, but I love football. And I'm always going to talk about this, so get used to it. But I love this game of American football because I just honestly believe it's the most Christian sport that exists ever. It's the most Christian sport that was ever invented. And I know you guys just see violence and stuff like that. There is violence. But this is the reason why. The reason why I say that is if you understand American football, on every given play, 10 people are literally sacrificing themselves so that one guy can advance the ball. 10 people are sacrificing themselves so that one person can advance the ball. And not only are these 10 people sacrificing themselves, but they're all working together. And they have to work together, not only for the one person to advance the ball, but for the whole team to win. To me, that's the picture of the church. For every one person that's trying to live faithfully for Jesus, there has to be 10 people loving, supporting, praying, sacrificing so that the whole church can succeed. That's the power of advocacy. That's the power of advocating on behalf of each other. And we need people who are willing, all of you, each one of you, who are willing to believe that your sacrifices will give people life. You know, a lot of times we forget that it was only when Jesus really decided to die upon the cross that we were given a chance at eternal life. 
right? It was when he died upon the cross and sacrificed himself that the mission of the church became a guaranteed success. When Christ advocated on our behalf, not only were we given life, but the church was born, right? And in the same way, it's when we choose to sacrifice our time, we sacrifice our hearts, we sacrifice our efforts and prayers to love each other and to care for each other and to become true advocates on behalf of each other. That's when true spiritual life grows in individuals, but also in our church community. And that's when the mission of Christ can advance, through us. That spiritual principle is found very, very clearly in John 12, 24. It says, very truly, I say to you, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces many seeds. What's this verse saying? It's saying that only by our death will others receive life. So let's commit ourselves to doing that for each other. Right? Because it makes such a huge difference in their lives. You know, there was a time that I was struggling massively in ministry. I was pastoring at the time of a church. And at that time, I was questioning my pastoring. I was questioning my leadership. I was questioning my effectiveness. I was, con- I was like questioning everything. And, and all honestly, with every question that I had, I, I kept on coming to some very dark conclusions. I was in a terrible place. But what's worse is that I was losing confidence in myself. I began condemning myself for not being who I thought God made me to be. And as a result, it was obvious that I had stopped enjoying this beautiful buffet of souls that God had given me, the people in my church. And I wasn't sure what to do. And so I decided to take some time off. But right before, the weekend before, I decided to take some time off. I took like four or five weeks off. Uh, Two people in that church came up to me. And they said, Eddie, you know, we decided that every single day um, during your break that we are going to pray for you. And to prove that we are, we're going to SMS you every single day, seven days a week for four to five weeks. And we're going to SMS you um, just to tell you that we prayed for you. And every single day for the next four weeks, I received an SMS telling me, that they prayed for me. You know, when I first heard them say that, I was like, yeah, okay, whatever, whatever. But as those SMSs kept on rolling in, it totally changed my heart. Do you know what that does to someone who was going through the things that I was going through? Every day, when I knew that these guys were fighting on my behalf, it made me feel so loved. You know, even though I have a great family, my family supports me and they love me like crazy. But there's a powerful difference when you know that your spiritual family at church is choosing to love you just as much. We need that, don't we? We need to know that people who have no reason to love you are choosing to love you simply because you are you and you're their brother or their sister in Christ. That's absolutely powerful and it's absolutely affirming, isn't it? I felt so loved. Right? Mostly because I knew that they were choosing to love me as me, for me, every single day. Honestly, I almost cried every single time the SMS would come. And secondly, I felt so valued. Through those SMSs, slowly but surely, all of my insecurities about myself and all the doubts about my abilities and all those things began to melt away. 
And their value for me, their value for me, allowed me to come to God much more honestly, much more humbly, much more sincerely, much more thankfully, because it reminded me every single day of how much God must value me. I mean, if he's putting me on their hearts to pray for me, that's God valuing me, isn't it? And I must be that valuable, that valuable in God's eyes. Their value for me reminded me every single day of how much I'm valued and celebrated by God himself. And that opened my heart much more readily to the gospel, which is absolutely priceless. And through all that, all those external expectations that I imposed upon myself began to truly melt in the light of his love and value for me that can never change. And that gave me the courage to take a step forward, and not only in my walk with Christ, not only in my faith, but back into ministry. And I couldn't wait to see what God was going to do through who he made me to be. That's the power of advocacy, isn't it? Right? Having all your confidence in God, having everything, your whole identity, your whole confidence, your whole future, everything in Christ alone, and wanting to see him work through who he's made you to be. That is the power of advocacy. And we need a little bit of that today, don't we? All of us do. So let's do that then. And I know you're asking, well, Eddie, how are we supposed to do that? And let me give you three practical ways to do that. Three Ps, okay? Three Ps I want to share with you. Number one, pray, right? Pray for the for people. That's how you advocate for you. Beg God. I told you, ask God, God, you got to empower this person, help this person to stay faithful, help, help this person to be hungry for you and to seek after you, to actually seek after you. Protect this person, you know, from sin, from temptation. Help this person to flourish, to have a heart for eternity, and to tell others about the gospel, to live out his faith boldly. Pray for that person. But Eddie, who are we supposed to pray for? Who are we supposed to advocate on behalf of? And the answer is very simple. If you need 10 people behind every person, how many people are in your CG? 10 people. I say this all the time, but commit yourself to advocate on every, on behalf of every CG member. Right? You do that, oh my goodness. I can't imagine what God might do through the people in your CG. Pray. Number two, point them to Jesus. It's great to connect and be good friends. It's great to talk about sports and the Paralympics or whatever's on TV or all these things, the K-drama, whatever it might be. It's good. You can talk about those things. But a true advocate points others towards Christ. Right? You can talk about K-drama for the first 10 minutes, but then point to Christ for the next. You know, you always want to make sure that the person's life that you're advocating is going towards Christ. Point them to Jesus every single day. And thirdly, this is a little bit of a cheat, but be persistent. P is persistent. Be persistent, right? Uh, don't ever quit advocating you know, on behalf of someone else. You know, for some reason, the effects are quick. For others, it takes years and years of investment. But because Jesus never quits on us, let's never quit. And if you've made a commitment to your CG members, you know, to the end of this year, maybe the end of next year, whatever it is, then let's do that. Let's commit ourselves to advocating on their behalf. Be persistent, okay? True brothers and sisters in a spiritual family advocate on behalf of one another. The gospel brings true happiness 
and joy. It brings true, um, I forgot the point. <laughs> it brings true happiness and joy. Uh, true freedom and joy. There we go. And true brothers and sisters advocate on behalf of one another. Christians advocate Christians. But let me end my message today by sharing what I think is the best part of this story. You know what I think the best part of this story is, is very, very simple. Paul defends a nobody, at least who the world thought was a nobody. I mean, Onesimus is not only a slave who in the Roman Empire was worth zero, but he was a runaway slave, which means that he's a dead man worth truly, truly nothing, zero. But yet, Paul advocates on his behalf. And here's the crazy thing. There is absolutely nothing for Paul to gain by writing this letter. Right, And that alone is totally different, isn't it? I mean, I know we do a lot of good things within our life. We do a lot of holy things within our lives for others. But there's always a little sinful piece of our heart that, you know, wants something back, isn't there? Like, wow, if we really do this good thing for somebody else, then I'm sure they're going to think better of us. Or maybe they'll respect us a little bit more. Maybe they'll be nicer to us. Or maybe they'll even give something back to us. Maybe they'll give us something in return. You know, there's always something like that within our hearts because we're all evil. We're all sinful like that. But... There was no way that Paul himself could ever profit from a letter like this. As a matter of fact, he only had everything to lose by writing this letter. So the question is, why does he write it? He writes it anyway. And the only answer that I can come up with is because Onesimus is his brother in Christ. Onesimus is part of his spiritual family. And that's it. You want to know something? It doesn't matter what anybody thinks of my parents or my sister, I'm going to defend them to the death. You know what I'm talking about? You'd probably do that for your family too, right? The world can think of them as zeros. They're not. They're amazing. They mean everything to me. And no matter what anyone says, I'm going to defend them till the death. You know what I'm saying? But that kind of attitude should be the same for our church family. That's what Paul has here in this letter. That's what I see. And for the greatest missionary in history, to do that for this quote-unquote nobody, this runaway slave thief, that speaks volumes on how highly God actually thinks about every single person that you go to church with, doesn't it? But here's the even greater truth. There are no nobodies within our church. Christ died for every single person in our church. And if they are worthy and valuable enough for Jesus to die for, then they might just be the most valuable treasures that you have in your life. Do you ever think of it that way? I know this. If I didn't have people advocating for me, not only in the past, but even right now in the present, I don't think I'd be preaching you to you today. I don't think I'd be in ministry anymore. But I'm only here today because there are people who considered me their spiritual family and who still do and who advocate every single day on my behalf. You know, some historians claim that Onesimus went on to become like a bishop of a local church, a huge local church. I mean, we don't know if that's true. But all this stuff, you know what it tells me? It tells me that God is doing something amazing, amazingly in eternal in the lives of the people around you. And they just need your help today to get there. So let's allow and let's let this gospel of freedom and joy 
right? Let's let this gospel give you freedom and joy every single day so that you can use your life to advocate on their behalf every single day. Let's pray. My prayer is that through the book of Philemon, that your heart will once again be centered upon the gospel, that Christ and the grace of the gospel will become your joy every single day. Maybe that's what you've been missing within your life. Maybe you need to return to that today. Return. Let's do that together. Or maybe you're a person that's never found true freedom and joy in Christ. You're loved. You're forgiven. He died for you upon the cross. The cross proves it. Put your faith in him and be free from your sins and find your joy eternally in Christ alone. Won't you put your faith in Jesus Christ today? That's the first thing that I want you to pray. Right? Let's return to Christ and let's turn to Christ and put our faith in him. And we'll pray for one more thing afterwards, but let's spend some time in prayer for that alone. Let's pray. advocate of the people in your CG. Never underestimate the power of prayer. Never underestimate the power of support, love, defense. This is who we are called to be. Never look at somebody within our church and think less. That's a person that Christ died for. He is that valuable to the kingdom. And it's an honor and a privilege to advocate on their behalf. Always consider that. Always remind yourself of that. It's a privilege to advocate on behalf of the people in your CG. Will you commit yourself to that? So that every person can be advocated on behalf of them. Let's give ourselves to truly helping each other during this time. Let's pray. Commit yourself to being an advocate. Let's pray.
pray and then I'll close us with the benediction. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this lockdown. We thank you for the challenges that we face every single day. And Father, we know that through that, you're creating within us a different awareness that maybe we really needed to be awakened to. Father, we thank you that you're opening up our eyes to see how much not only we need you every single day, but how much we really need each other to grow and to really be the church that you always meant for us to be. And maybe you're purifying us now. Maybe you're strengthening us now. We thank you for it. But Lord, do that. Always give us this awareness that the people that we go to church with are people, are treasures, are absolute treasures that you died for, that you thought was worthy enough and valuable enough to give your life for. And so God, continually move our hearts to see them in that way and not to judge them as externally as the world would do, but God, to see them and to cherish them and to love them with the same heart that you do. And because of that, cause us to become their advocate, to give all we can, even if it's at a loss, so that they can grow, so that the church can grow, and so that the gospel and the work and the mission of Jesus Christ can grow and succeed. Lord, that's what we want. Lord, may your love for the people in our church, may your love for those who are lost without Jesus always trump our hearts so that we might do all things, God, for you and for your glory. Cause that love to make us advocate on behalf of this world. Lord, we just depend upon you for that. Help us to really become that church. We need your help to do that. Lord, we, I want to pray right now for everyone in our church. I know there are some who are struggling in so many different ways. God, we pray that you will meet their needs, that you will heal them, you will strengthen them, you'll encourage them, Father. May your presence really fill their hearts and their minds and guard them in Christ Jesus so they won't be anxious but God, so that their worries might be transformed into worship through the power of the gospel. Lord, we ask that, I ask that you would do that within their lives and empower them, God, and convince them that to live out the gospel is what gives us true freedom and joy within our lives. And Lord, help them to experience that on a day-to-day -day basis. We thank you, God, for all this. We thank you, God, for taking care of us. We thank you, God, that you always take care of our health. We thank you for our homes. We thank you for food that we have on our tables. We thank you for the clothes on our backs. We thank you for the internet, for air, for everything, every little thing that you give us because we know that it's all by grace. So may you receive glory through it all. And may every little thing that we see be transformed into worship and thanksgiving for you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord turn his face upon you and be generous to you. The Lord radiate his countenance over you and give you peace. Amen. Have a good week, FLM. We'll see you live next week. See ya.